because I don't feel guilty. We are all doing the best we can, and I mean that across the board. I really, truly think that everybody that's is trying to do the best that they know how, mm-hmm. and we're all coming with a different perspective. So, But I look back, and I feel heartache at knowing how many people went back home and didn't have that connection. All they had was the WhatsApp group. You know, and we try to facilitate community to a certain extent, but it doesn't have the cohesive power that an ongoing community does. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak, they talk to you, they will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Welcome to Psilocybin Says. Today, Eric and Courtney relate their experience of running mushroom retreats in Jamaica to recent events in the psychedelic clinic and retreat context, and speculate about the future of psychedelic cultural integration. Join the conversation in the comments. If you're new, you can subscribe on YouTube and podcasts, and make sure you connect on Instagram and TikTok. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're here talking about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. I'm glad we gave a little space because I was feeling a little gloaty when we first <laughs> heard the news. Um, and it's important that we don't have that perspective when we're yeah. having a conversation around something that is certainly misfortunate to, to many and maybe to the overall um, psychedelic field, but I don't think so. I think ultimately it's going to play out for the better. Uh, so what we're talking about today is the um, kind of centers around synthesis, the probably biggest, most well-known psilocybin retreat, um, filing for bankruptcy. Uh, also, there's the recent news about Field Trip closing several of its ketamine clinics. Um, you probably know there's been a lot of hype around psychedelic uh, marketplace in the last, oh, two to three years. For a while, it was being said there was, this was estimated to be like something like a $65 billion industry. And there were a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, get-rich-quickers running towards psychedelics thinking this was going to be the next cannabis and I think we're going to find out pretty quickly that that's not the case. Uh, so this is something that Courtney and I have had a lot of <laughs> involvement in over the years and conversations about. And when this news came out, we were like, oh, wow, we definitely need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much, so many layers to this conversation. Um although this came this this came about because of the news with synthesis going bankrupt and that was i mean both of us were surprised yeah. uh surprised mm-hmm. and then not surprised yeah. at yeah. the same time yeah. um but you know synthesis has been growing and developing since we co-founded the retreat center in Jamaica mm-hmm. and so it's been like kind of like we've had we've known quite a few people who've gone to synthesis mm-hmm. on retreat mm-hmm. and also come to our retreats mm-hmm. and kind of like compared notes and yeah one um, of the founders of synthesis came to Myco before founding synthesis mm-hmm. and then I think that was an inspiration uh, 
to him mm-hmm. to some extent or uh, field research for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so although synthesis isn't necessarily, I don't feel like truly the topic of this conversation, right. it is an opportunity for for us to reflect on our growth um, as we've navigated the territory of developing a psychedelic community and communities Mm -hmm. and an opportunity for us to um, reflect on like, are are we on track? Like with what we're doing with sanctuary and moving forward, um, how can we learn Mm -hmm. from the, unfortunate well and i want to talk about the overall psychedelic industry as well because there seemed to be a direction starting out like this is the way things are going to go and i think we're going to see we are seeing that it's not going to unfold as um i think most people predict and that's where i was kind of joking about the gloating thing is because i've been saying for the last two years at least, that the future of psychedelic wellness is community-centered, community-led, not uh, top-down, for-profit, get-rich, you know, standard Western model of clinical care. Uh, These medicines, these sacraments, they don't fit in that box. And I think that's what we're starting to see unfold here as well. So, yeah, for Sanctuary and our community and other communities out there that are forming, you know, we're just having a conversation about how this can be done most effectively for long-term success and and growth and support of all the individuals. Uh, so, man, we, we tried recording a conversation around this already, and it's a big old bag of worms for us because, like Courtney said, we've been so deeply involved. And the article that we'll link in the show notes that – uh, it was written by a former employee at Synthesis who talked about some of the problems that led to this dissolution or to this, this filing for bankruptcy are problems that we knew as well through our work with the retreat center. This is very challenging work, and the the people who are doing the work, most of us came to psychedelics in search of healing ourselves. And that kind of creates a situation where you have people who are trying to heal leading others as they try to heal as well. And um, not to say that it can't be done for sure, uh, but it's going to look very different than what we're used to in terms of like yoga retreats or a uh, wellness clinic. Typically. Yeah, because this is this is an industry that is we're trying to figure out how to do something that our ancestors did in modern, like we're trying to do it in modern times mm-hmm. in a modern framework, and we have basically no reference for how to do it, and so it's it's a chaotic, confusing territory to navigate in the midst of working with a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. with other people and experiencing that trauma with ourselves, getting traumatized uh, as we're trying to navigate this brand new uh, world Mm -hmm. in these times. So what do you think was the biggest 
you know, for us and our experience in the retreat model, like what was the biggest challenge that organizations like this face from our from our experience? Obviously, we're not speaking generally. Uh, we don't relate what we know. What, yeah, what do you what do you feel like was most challenging aspect of the mm -hmm. retreat model? Well, the first thing that comes up for me from my vantage point, so to clarify, um, because I, even for people that have been, I think, listening to this podcast, they may not know really what my role primarily has been mm -hmm. as we've founded the retreat center in Jamaica and then moving into sanctuary. My role has primarily been in the operations high-level operations mm -hmm. aspect of it. So not necessarily, not doing the work that you've been doing. Yeah, we had two very different perspectives. On the ground, mm -hmm. like holding space for lots of people. That wasn't my job. Mm -hmm. My job was the organization side of things and administrative. Which that also gave you a really great vantage point to see breakdowns in other mm -hmm. aspects of the team or the organization. Yeah, yeah, I was and still am managing relationships mm -hmm. on a daily basis, but just not in the same exact way as you were with the, when the we were doing the retreats, we called them guests mm -hmm. of the retreats. Now it's members of Sanctuary and our mm -hmm. community members. So for me, from that vantage point, um, because the... The whole retreat industry, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money to put on a retreat. And in particular, um, you know, and speaking in general terms, any retreat where somebody is going on to find healing and discover a new part of themselves, they're coming into that experience usually, almost always, very nervous, um, hesitant resistant sometimes oftentimes and there's just there's a lot of those feelings coming in so for any retreat center whether that's a yoga retreat or a business retreat or whatever it is you're working with people who are coming in with a lot of emotions and there's usually high stakes involved they've invested a lot of money to be there and they're really hoping for by the end of the week to go home with some real results. And that's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of money that goes into trying to set yourself up for success for a good experience for those people. So that's any retreat, no matter where you are and what you're doing. Right. And then you add in an international retreat where people are flying into oftentimes a country they've never been to. Mm -hmm. So there's that added layer of logistical anxiety mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and then you add in like a third world country type of situation mm -hmm. where there's like long, uh, there's long, a long bus ride. There's a long remember when airplane. They, remember when they were having the, uh, the, the military blockades with the AK-47s that we had to drive through. Yeah, there's like in Jamaica, <laughs> there's like the United States. Like if you're not, if you're well-traveled, you know that like oftentimes the U.S. 
kind of like makes it sound like going to another country is like a threat to your life, no matter what, <laughs> like oftentimes, um, particularly if it's an island. Uh, so there was like that anxiety as well. Like, oh my gosh, like there's a high level threat of traveling right, right. right now. And so there is that added in. And then you add in psychedelics and an experience that for us, like in Jamaica, most people who came on retreat had never had any psychedelic experience. Right. They had oftentimes tried all Western approaches to mm. navigating their own particular health challenges, whether that's physical health, mental health, spiritual crises, like being at the end of life, whatever it was. Mm. And this was like their last kind of try. Right. And so high stakes, feeling very vulnerable, very anxious, like just the amount of emotion coming in at start was just so high. So you try and set up as comfortable as an experience for people as you can. And um, Jamaica is a very expensive place to live. I know Amsterdam, uh, I'm sure, is a very expensive place for a foreigner to try and set up shop, you add in their um, tourist tax, whatever that might be in Amsterdam. It's very high. Mm. I know that. Okay. Uh, and it's it was very high in Jamaica. So it's just like a very like high price point at baseline. Mm. Um, so all that to say that for, I know for us, trying to get investment like for people that's like we started that with an intention of building community and providing access mm -hmm. to this like really really special profound experience mm -hmm. that was our intention and like we went in not having investment financial expertise so we needed people mm -hmm. to help us with that and it gets to a point where like you're putting everything on the line. It's like any business that's starting out. You, when you start it, you just put everything you have into it. Mm -hmm. And there gets to be a point where like you need to see, you need to support your family and you can't financially put anything more into it. Mm -hmm. And so it was high stakes for us, high stakes for anybody who's starting something that is so new mm -hmm. and, um, has to d figure it out for everybody else that's coming after them. Um, so like we did, like Synthesis did to a large degree. And so you get like kind of desperate for some help financially. And I kind of feel like with Synthesis, um, based on that article, that we read from written by a former employee, maybe that was a big part of what happened there is a desperation mm. for somebody to come in and really help like fill that space that in order to keep going had to be filled mm. financially, mm. Um, operations wise. Uh, and then, you know, maybe not taking the time to get to know that person, which you're basically like entering into a, you are entering into a long-term partnership, like a business marriage, like a marriage yeah. with that person. And like, mm -hmm. I'm assuming our listeners, like 
probably have heard, if not experienced, that entering into any kind of business relationship with somebody is like, it's intense mm -hmm. and it often breaks down. So add in psychedelics and people, these high stakes uh, entry points mm -hmm. into your product mm -hmm. and service. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of stress involved in trying to make it all work. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, there's a lot of pressure all around. Um, and then I guess, I guess like what stands out to me there from the article and from our experience is that the interpersonal relationships of the leadership first and foremost, um, if the business partners, if they're, if they are, uh, and then the overall team has a huge role to play in, you know, how that stress is managed because it's going to be there. And, yeah, it did sound like from the article that there were some uh, personal conflicts between the business owners. And I think one of the things that my experience ha was and continues to, uh, I continue to see this in this world is that you have the founders, usually like myself, I was in that work or I'm in this work because I want to see healing. I want to see access to these medicines. I want to see personal empowerment. And then you, that person very often is not the business mind. I was running the retreats into the ground financially, plain and simple. I was giving out 10, 10 day retreats, meals and lodging and ground travel and ceremonies included for a thousand dollars. Never ran, never pulled out a calculator, and uh, <laughs> well, you did, but no, I didn't. Maybe your phone calculator, probably. Maybe not. A, definitely not an Excel spreadsheet. I damn sure didn't spend much time with that calculator. Uh, so you know, I just wanted to see people get better, and I wanted to see it be affordable. That's still very much a, a major drive in my work, uh, and then. There are often uh, the financial-minded people are not coming with the same kind of overall intention. And those two worlds can very easily collide. You know, uh, they're very different personality types. There are very different values. And I think particularly with psychedelics, it makes for some uh, tumultuous bedfellows, if you will, and I don't know. I've seen that in a number of psychedelic organizations already uh, and have had that personal experience. And, you know, I've, I've owned a couple of psychedelic companies at this point. Uh, and <laughs> it certainly seems like the group ownership of a community nonprofit is by far my preferred uh, approach for sure. Um, you know, we still need, of course, financial guidance in mm -hmm. sanctuary. It's cost money to run any organization. Um, but I think people hear and see a an FBO or a faith-based or faith-based organization or a nonprofit or a church, however you want to talk about it, they see that very differently. So even when people come in and offer financial advice, or as we've been having conversations with our CFO, you know, the the energy behind it is very different. Yeah, because it it is very different. 
Mm-hmm. Like it is. Um, what we were doing before was very much a top-down mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these meetings in private, and you just we make a decision, and then you experience that decision. Right. Whereas this, with what we're doing with sanctuary, is like yeah, there's some conversations that it's just it doesn't make sense to bring everybody into. Mm-hmm. Because uh, then you'd have to brief people on a lot of things, which like they don't really want to have. They don't have the time to like, yep. <laughs> sit in on. But over your we, history, yeah. But we're we're very transparent with our community about what's going on, and we and do we seek ask input for from our community as well. Feedback all the time. We want it, mm-hmm. and um, which feels so much better. It's so much better when what we're doing is for the community to have the community input. And that, that was one of the challenges for me in the corporate model is that our our employees, right, which we don't even really use that term anymore, but the employees were not only were they not privy to conversations and they were not privy to the decision making, I, f- I feel like there wasn't even really like a transparent thorough dialogue on why the decisions were being made. It's just like, this is how it is, and this is how it's going to be. Well, and we did, I mean, we did try to have those conversations that's, Well, often. and that's, you know, without getting into too many, too, yeah. too many details, you know, um, so I'm saying the personality conflicts and the various leadership styles between someone who is corporate-minded and, you know, bottom-line-driven versus someone who is... Um, you know, kind of more emotionally in, involved, or that is, you know, kind of looking at the the the, the interpersonal aspect. Yeah, yeah. Which this brings us into talking about like the model, like the model in itself that is chosen will inform how flexible you can be with those types of conversations because when you have such a high stakes model Mm -hmm. it really does limit to a large degree what you can reasonably realistically talk about and get Mm -hmm. advice from from your I mean, in the retreat model, your clients or whatever you want to call them, the people that are purchasing your product because they're they're in and they're out, and your employees too. Like, I think the employees are the are really the bigger part because they are they're living with you, and Mm -hmm. if you're living with someone or with multiple people, and you're not able to be really transparent or you know. Some people won't be really transparent. That's going to cause dissidence. It's going to create a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And when you're working in this space and you're bringing people in, you know, a dozen or 15 people a week who are coming in, like you said, this very high stakes environment where they've got to, like, this is about saving their life for a lot of people. And they've spent a lot of money, and there's just like all the emotion and trauma. Waiting for probably six months. On wait list for so long. Right. And so then they come into a situation where there is tension between, you know, the coworkers because 
of just the general makeup of the organization, then that's going to be, it's going to be felt and reflected in that psychedelic space. And that's something that you didn't, you know, you didn't get to experience that much because you were in the office, you know, working. And so, but like to be in that space with the energy and the the challenges that come with these some of these kinds of relationships, it's uh, it creates another level of stress, particularly for like myself as the lead facilitator, who I just I it was my responsibility to keep everything cool. Like this is you know, and so like that balancing act mm -hmm. is it's so much pressure on an individual. Yeah. And again, coming back to the model, mm -hmm. like thinking back to that time um, and just thinking about the retreat model and what we're experiencing now with sanctuary. It's what we've been, what our discussions have been like over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our our discussions with the board of directors and our community, like how can we keep this going? How can we fund this? Coming from the retreat model and the main priority being like delivering the sacrament and like getting that safely, that experience to the people who are wanting it, needing it, have the right to have it. And limiting the organization to being funded by retreats mm -hmm. is like at the root, was at the root, like with, with Sanctuary, just speaking from Sanctuary, a lot of stress because then you find yourself in a situation where you have no breaks as mm -hmm. getting the organization going with that core team mm -hmm. that's trained and has the experience to keep people safe and help keep people safe in those retreat environments you end up finding yourself like constantly holding space for people and the families of the space holders mm -hmm. like not mm -hmm. seeing you and like um, it's not a sustainable model. No. And we figured that out, thankfully, and turned away from it and did a lot of strategizing on how can we fund this organization and the people running it and keeping it going, keeping providing services and programs without... Um, how can we do this sustainably while having... while enjoying our lives? Mm -hmm. And, and being able to continue to hold space for people because at some point, and it happens quickly, those people who are space holders get burnt out without enough room to breathe in between retreats. And it doesn't, you need a lot of space mm -hmm. to, to integrate yourself mm -hmm. personally as a space holder. Yeah. I and, think we uh, talked about that in the psilocybin slut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. See our episode, Eric's a psilocybin slut. <laughs> There's a, a certain memory that I have that um, I I know will never be a part of what we're doing now. Just in terms of thinking about marketing and you know, like some of the uh, it was a numbers game. You know, it was a numbers game, 
And that's just not what I feel. That's not what I live. This is not a numbers game for me. This is a human being thing. This is, it's, it, you know, we can call it a game. There's a lot of fun to be had. Uh, but there are real humans who have had very challenging lives and they need help. And one of the disservices that the psychedelic industry is doing is portraying the psychedelics themselves as the saviors and plain and simple, not the case. It's the community. It's the people that are supporting each other long-term through these transitional experiences, through these transformative experiences. And that's why I feel more confident than ever after seeing how this is beginning to unfold that the future of psychedelic wellness is truly organizations like Sanctuary. doesn't necessarily have to be a church. Um, I think there's a wonderful opportunity for us to develop a different relationship with religion uh, and churches and spirituality through psychedelics. That is, as we know through the research, that it's the mystical experience that really elicits the positive changes in our lives, but they're not sustainable. They're not oftentimes even comprehensible without a compassionate community that's there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our ability to really foster a long-term sustainable community in that model, mm -hmm. and not just ours, but I think any organization, it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, as long as there is this top-down the CEO is calling the shots. And, you know, I may be the on-paper president of Sanctuary, but I, I'm not calling the shots at all. And thankfully so. And I, none of us are really. You know, our board of directors, is, it takes longer to make decisions. And, uh, you know, but that's a good thing because their decisions are really considering the collective rather than just what, one or two people decide is best for the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing, too, that I really want to touch on here is that ultimately, aside from being a community experience, a communal experience that psychedelics are, and that's not being portrayed in the media, it's being portrayed very Western medicine style. You take this medicine with your eye shades on and your playlist on, and then you have this experience, and then you become a different person. And we know that's not how it works. Um, but the accessibility is the other aspect of this that I really want to talk about um, because we're having legalization happening in Oregon, obviously, and Colorado now. And even still in these stateside models, they're, they're following kind of the similar retreat, high dollar, come stay for five days or seven days or whatever. And that will always be accessible and good for some people. But the vast majority of the people, even those that we've worked with in the retreats, have said, I've been saving for a year for this, right? <clears throat> and, and then with coming in with the skewed belief that, one or two experiences are going to change their life forever and that they're no longer going to have depression when, again, finally there's more research coming out that's showing this, that it's, especially for people who are severely depressed, 
like every six months is about kind of the regimen for to work with psilocybin to have lasting change. And for some people, it's much more frequent than that as well. And you cannot do that over and over. The vast majority of people can't do a $5,000 retreat every six months or every three months. And on most people, every year, you know. And so these company, the companies that the model that is uh, kind of pushing for that is ultimately doomed to its own failure because it's going to wear out the market, uh, I think, relatively quickly. And so what we've been doing, particularly with our minister training in, in helping people learn how to dose on their own, take the sacrament uh, on their own or in the company of their friends and family and small, safe groups, and then come back into the larger community for integration. That That's the future of this. That's where my heart lies in all this. And, you know, I think there's a lot of room for many different communities to practice in the same manner. There's not nearly as much room for, you know, high-ticket retreats to, you know, operate around the world. You're going to have fewer and fewer of those. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member and find more information. Just hearing like you touch on some of the language of like the current industry, uh, industry language, like regimen, saying things like regimen with dosing and, you know, the microdosing trend is just like is really just starting to blow up and there's all these like regimens and like speaking of the mushroom as if it's a supplement Mm -hmm. as if it's a pharmaceutical drug that you take and you should expect to see this linear type of experience and result and miraculous healing and all all language we've 99% of people in our society have been burned by. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we did a whole episode on like the medicine is in the dose or the poisons in the dose and like just bringing it back to this conversation of like, what is, what is this teaching us? Like the experience of the mushroom is, it, it lives outside of a retreat like experience it's the teachings are i mean vast but like for me and for so many people it seems to come back to connection and Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. with like in real time our our connection throughout the day with life Mm -hmm. with our 
creator, source, consciousness, and recognizing that in all aspects of life. And to expect to go on this isolated retreat experience and go back home and have (sighs) not have the community Mm -hmm. that you experienced in the retreat is really, really, really hard. Um, I don't think it works very well. I think it's kind of besides the point. I I, I, I don't want to say that I feel guilty because I don't feel guilty. We are all doing the best we can. And I mean that across the board. I really, truly think that everybody that's is trying to do the best that they know how. Mm -hmm. And we're all coming with a different perspective. So none of what I've said is a judgment towards anyone or an organization. I really, truly believe that everybody is doing the best that they know how to do. And I was doing that too in Jamaica. But I look back and I feel heartache at knowing how many people went back home and didn't have that connection. All they had was the WhatsApp group, you know, and we tried to facilitate community to a certain extent, people connecting within their region. Um, but it's that that doesn't have the kind of the cohesive power that an ongoing community does. And so, you know, we're seeing a number of people who we work with in Jamaica or have come into our fold with Sanctuary. Um, first person that comes to my mind, we did a podcast with her. You can listen back. It's an incredible conversation that Courtney did with Joan, uh, who has been, you know, she came to Jamaica and had just powerful, powerful healing. But she came back and she continued to do the work, but she did it in isolation. Mm-hmm. And seeing how she is thriving now, just with the amount that she's able to touch back in with Sanctuary. And there's a number of people like that, Stephen and Nancy. And then I could go into a list of people and it's growing all the time. But I guess what I really want to communicate here is it's really kind of a personal message to anybody that might be listening who was a part of our retreats um, that it it has weighed on my heart knowing that so many people, hundreds and hundreds of people came and had these powerful experiences and felt such, such a sense of connection and then they went back home and didn't have that. And that that gaping hole that is why we found it sanctuary plain and simple and and so you know yeah i just want to communicate that out yeah and the gaping hole was felt by us oh yeah oh I my think god equally oh god i was there were there were there were times Not more. there were times know. that i don't know if i ever shared this with you but there were times at the end of retreat, on the last trip, on the last dose, you know, I particularly recall the one with um, Dana from Australia. If you haven't ever listened to my old podcast, The Psilocybin Chronicles, that I did with guests down there, there's a lot of really wonderful interviews there, but uh, she's one of them, an incredible human being. But 
Like I cried. I cried deep tears of sorrow knowing that these people were going to go back and I was never going to, I wasn't going to have contact with them anymore. Maybe some messages here and there, you know? Um, so I certainly felt that pain. And I know that's, I would suspect anyway, I can't say that I know, but I would suspect that the folks at Synthesis had that same experience. Mm -hmm. And it is a psychic weight that weighs on you all of the time. Mm -hmm. I, I have felt so deeply so many times the truth that everybody I've tripped with is still in my field somehow. We are still connected. And there is... There's, there's some reprieve in that because I can go into a meditation and connect to a certain degree. But there's also a lot of sadness in that because I know that many, many, many of those people are back in Idaho or uh, wherever, you know, like from all over the place. And they're back in communities that don't understand what they've been through and then that experience itself mm -hmm. fades you know having someone that can i really closely identify with the experience that you've gone through particularly when it is one of the most powerful experiences of your life like mothers mothers need mothers to talk about you know, you still like integrate your childbirth experiences with other mothers mm -hmm. and it's comparable. It's, it's, it's the same, you know? So anyway, is there, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to allow ourselves to feel that, um, those feelings that are uncomfortable to relive, uh, and remember so that, it can allow us to move forward conscientiously and um, make different decisions. And also reflecting on how, you know, all those people probably wouldn't have had that experience without that retreat option mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because they felt safe. Mm -hmm. Um with the particular personality and style of what we were offering at that time being mm -hmm. the f like the first and one of very few mm -hmm. uh, legal options mm -hmm. for people. So just also recognizing that uh, all the, not all of them, but most of those people were extremely grateful and I don't think oh, yeah. they would want to take that experience back for by sure. any means. For sure. And it, for a lot of people, it did allow them to go home and consider things that they had never mm -hmm. considered before. Consider going to a meetup group or mm -hmm. like getting more involved in their local community. And it's not the same as having the community built in by any means at all. I mean, it's on a different spectrum with what we're doing with, mm -hmm. with Sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And still, we have a ways to go with Sanctuary. Oh, good we God, have, yeah members in almost every state now <laughs> and uh of the u.s and five different countries and so clearly we're we're only just over two years old like not we're even not two years old yet may is two years yeah over two years well february 2021 was like officially 
Oh, so that's right. We're we, re, we reorganized it. Anyway. Yeah. So clearly it's not realistic for us to have a location in every single state in like five different countries. And like, obviously that's not realistic. So we are all the time thinking and collaborating and brainstorming. How can we bring our community across the nation in particular together and so, like, that's an ongoing. Oh, and it's it's the thing, another. And it takes time and lots of conversations and so much collaboration. And it's and, another great aspect of that of this is that we get to highlight our members. You know, that's one of the things that we're talking about as we're developing these members, um, member organized workshops. workshops uh-huh. You know, is that the strength of the organization? Yeah. is the members of the organization mm-hmm. not? Even the leadership of the organization, right. so to speak. Yeah, you know? it's. I'm so excited. I'm so. This is like my new passion project. Is like this uh, member-led virtual mm-hmm. workshops where we have people Someone, that have been asking for months. Members that have been asking for months. Like, can I just like bring something to the community like that I'm good at, and like I'll do it for free. I don't. I just want to share and connect and provide like it would just feel so good and so finally we have the a little bit of space to like figure out the processes for that and hopefully we'll have like and if we could have like daily opportunities Mm -hmm. for our members across the world to come together and just share skills Mm -hmm. and connect oof yeah i'm so excited well and seeing you have more of the community role that is really right for you. You're still mm-hmm. doing admin stuff, which isn't your favorite. I know you're good at it, but you know you, you and Amy, you're doing this uh, women's circle tomorrow, and I can mm-hmm. see how excited you all are talking about that. And you've been doing these and seeing people really benefit from that. You know, consistent. Mm-hmm meeting and community and the circles that I'm doing here where there aren't even psychedelics involved. I mean, we've had people talking about how their lives have been transformed before they ever took a mushroom. And then when they do take the mushrooms, it's like so much bigger and better Mm -hmm. than it would have been if they just like dropped into a mushroom experience and then tried to integrate into Mm -hmm. a community or to a program. Yeah. So it's, it's really incredible. And I feel... Like, such a privilege, honestly, to be in all the positions that I've had, you know. But I've had the incredible privilege of starting so much of this. And, like, there's been a lot of mushroom stuff going on. I didn't start the mushroom thing, but I was smuggling mushrooms to Jamaica to make these retreat happen. retreats happen. I was down there working thousands, tens of thousands of hours, so many of those just by myself, supporting people after everybody else had gone to bed. I spent so many hours in meditation, contemplation on these retreats and how to bring this to the world. The tens of thousands of hours that I have spent cultivating, cleaning psilocybin mushrooms, and then none of that even compares to where we're at and what we're doing now. And yes, there are other psilocybin churches and I, I, I psychedelic churches, and I'm grateful for all that. I love all that. But I also know that what we're doing at Sanctuary, particularly with these minister trainings, is unlike anything that anybody else is doing because it's putting the power into the hands of the people. 
And yes, 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 you need experienced professional support for a lot of this work, particularly if you're highly traumatized or if you're doing a lot of, uh, or if you're doing like high, high dose work. But what we know historically is that these sacraments, these plants, these sacred medicines have been used individually and in a communal setting for the vast majority of history. And there's a reason why. So what we're doing is actually just kind of going back to the older ways. And I'm also really freaking excited as someone who has been traumatized by religion, who was bred in, huh, I, you know, I hesitate to say cult, but like as we were talking last night, you know, or if, uh, one of our friends who is a Jehovah Witness and how she relates her history of as a cult and how all, and I started thinking about how all of my friends were Catholic and all of my everything was just centered around this fear of going to hell. And if you don't have your communion and you don't do all the things that the Catholics say you can do, then you're going to go to hell. And so to be able to reformulate our relationship with the religious experience, and I have no problem at this point saying religion, because now I know that religion doesn't have to be a dirty word, that by reconnecting with our relationship with spiritual communities, that is where the real healing for our nation and our world is going to come from. Mm -hmm. And so I feel so privileged, so excited, so honored, and a little bit intimidated <laughs> at all of this stuff that we've been able to do and are now doing with Sanctuary. And I really just like, I just want to open the doors and say, please come in and be a part of this community because that is where the future lies. You, we, we all see what's happening with the monetary system and the global power shift and all that. Invest in community. These investors that are dropping millions of dollars, what was it said field trip was like eight to $12 million in the hole. And I had conversations with those guys when they came into Jamaica. And there's a lot of things that I could say about a lot of these investor types who have come into the psychedelics and they're all, you know, I had one psychedelic experience and now I want to save the world. And it's like, yeah, okay, let's see how that goes. Cause then it's just like, we're just talking about millions of dollars and, so anyway, I'm kind of getting off on a little bit of a soapbox here, but yeah. I truly believe, like, with all this talk about investment in mm -hmm. psychedelics and investment in the industry, invest in yourself by mm -hmm. investing in community. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I feel like, one of the most powerful things about what we're doing with the minister trainings, what Sanctuary is doing with the minister ordination programs is helping remind people that like you're trustworthy. Mm. You're a sovereign being. Remember? Mm -hmm. Remember? Like just that message in itself, mm -hmm. I feel like is so deeply healing. Like we trust you. Like we want to empower you. You are capable. Mm -hmm. You are. You can do this. 
and and if or you can't do it maybe like there's a conversation to be had you're capable we're mm-hmm. capable of having a conversation and a communication about mm-hmm. your personal life and you are very wise and we see that in you mm-hmm. and so that's what I love. One thing I love so much about the minister programs is just that message. For sure. In itself. Yeah, that is, that's so true. Um, and I think, you know, as we are starting to see that unfold and seeing how people are connecting to their own power, seeing that they, yes, professionals, therapists, psychiatrists, professional trip sitters all have value. They're there for a reason. Um, but that you have your own ability to care for yourself in a much greater capacity than you're aware of. But also as a 20-something year facilitator at this point, you know, um, and for 10 years, that being my full time, all that I did, something that I would like to communicate to other facilitators out there, uh, you know, I don't know, Martin, who ran Synthesis, but I have a feeling that he didn't have the support that he needed. And that is something also that's very different when you are not operating in a corporate mindset where the, you know, the leadership, the CEO has to maintain this um facade really of having it all together i've got it under control i'm the problem solver bullshit especially when you are carrying the psychic weight of hundreds thousands of people who are coming to you for support Mm -hmm. so there's two parts of this one is that the leaders need help and they need support and that is not going to happen in a top-down model the way that it should because that support, especially when you're in these vulnerable spaces, you're holding holding space for people who are just letting it all out. You've got to be able to do that too. You've got to be on equal ground with the people that you're working with. And I, it was almost impossible to do that in the role that I was in leading a retreat because people come and they see you as the guy who's going to lead them to themselves somehow, you know, and there may be, there can be that within the church or within this kind of community model, but it's much less likely to happen if the organizers, if the leadership are also at that ground level working through their shit and supported by their community as well. And by doing that, we not only create healthier organizations and individuals within those organizations, but we prevent this guru bullshit, right? And like, not going to go off on a huge tangent there, but it is something that we need to be aware of within this work. Um, There are a whole heap of self-proclaimed psychedelic experts out there. And I'm going to tell you right now, 20-something years taking psychedelics, I'm I'm not an expert. I mean, to some extent, maybe, but they confuse the shit out of me, and I need clarification. I need support from others around me. If people come to me looking for 
advice than like I'm going to give a conversation. I'm going to ask some questions and try to help get to your own answer because in this model, it is about you finding yourself through each other, not through some highly trained, highly specialized expert guru figure. Yeah, that is a... Ooh, that could be a big, scary awakening. Like it was for me. I feel like I woke up to that I am the one to save myself about 10 years ago with the help of the mushroom. And it was fucking terrifying. Just this, you know, when we're kids, where we are, most of us, um, rely on our parents to take care of us or whoever is our guardian Mm -hmm. and we're constantly looking to them and trust and needing them dependent on them and then with religion uh and how it mostly is today that whole like you must confess to the priest you must ask permission from the (laughs) patriarchy of the church you must ask like you cannot give yourself you cannot directly Mm -hmm. have a conversation with your creator you have to go through this other human who has more power than you in order Mm -hmm. to do that that is so and and then add in the whole government structure of having to ask permission Mm -hmm. from an organization that has power over you and, you know, Mm -hmm. is you're an employee of for the rest of your life, like that whole indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many layers subconsciously built into us that we do not have the power personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to wake up to that we do can be really scary and overwhelming Mm -hmm. um, because it just requires thinking so differently and approaching life in a completely different way. So, I don't know, it just kind of like rushed over me as you were talking that, like, it's just, it's not like simple to step into that um, experience. Um, Well, that's why CEOs and gurus have been able to take the place that they have is because, most of us have been, I think, ultimately trained to give our power away. And so that's kind of what feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, not always the best intended people are the ones who are trying to tell you how to live your life. The ones that are like more, the most traumatized themselves of right. having that power stripped away from them and yeah. thinking that that's how mm-hmm. they get it back yeah. is doing it Taking to power other people. From others, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's an intense world out here. <laughs> like, it is. It is feeling that out and waking up to belief systems that we realize aren't uh, really serving us anymore. And there's a different way. It's a process. Now, all of this being said, um, I do want to kind of conclude my thoughts anyway uh, with uh, coming back to the financials. This is the first time in my life really that I have actually been legitimately open to uh, receiving large sums of money because I know without a shadow of a doubt 
that that money will go back into building the community. The, all the, the projects and all of the ideas that we're working towards without money, mm-hmm. once we do have that funding that isn't attached to an ROI or beholden to some, you know, corporate investor that's going to be like making sure all, all the KPIs and all the all the shit that I used to hear all the time that just made me sick. We need money. <laughs> we need lots and lots of money because we're going to do lots of incredible things with it. So if you're listening and you want to see a community like we're talking about grow and support each other that's not dependent on this top-down, daddy tell me how to do what I'm doing, then feel free to donate to Sanctuary because we're going to do some incredible stuff with that money. Yeah. We do. I do, do. Want, I do want to run retreats. I do want to have more retreats, and we need property, and we need staffing, and we need all that, and it can be so much more accessible and affordable. My ultimate goal is to get to where at least, like, you know, a half dozen times a year, we're able to offer retreats that are purely donation based. Someone can come in and donate five bucks or five thousand dollars, whatever actually feels right to them. Mm-hmm. That is my heartfelt desire to be working with uh, terminal patients who oftentimes do not have the resources to pay for a, a retreat or to have you know extended care. There, there's, there's so much to be done, and I know that there are people out there that want to be a part of this, and so you're invited. Well, and that's like, I mean, that's the big picture of our minister, our friends and family minister program is that we, once we get enough people that go through that program mm-hmm. and feel like, okay, I've got like the foundation right here of the tools mm-hmm. I need to hold space for this loved one that I would just be so happy to hold space for them and not mm-hmm. charge them money right. for that. I mean, imagining thousands and thousands and yeah. thousands yeah. of those friends and family ministers across the country and world who can come back to the community mm-hmm. like before going in to sit with somebody and be like, all right, I'm having this come up. Mm-hmm. Or like, no, they got somebody to call in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, that just by showing up to what the community they're already like a part of for Mm -hmm. that feedback and support that is to me like that is the access point like that is what we're really going for like yeah retreats are amazing and that group experience is like nothing else Mm -hmm. and i want that for everybody, including myself, mm-hmm. on a mm-hmm. semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. And also where it's really at is like our culture shifting and having these conversations and like building it into our subconscious that this is our God-given right mm-hmm. and luxury to be able to have these communions. Can we also hit on the training models as well? Because the training models are similarly following a lot of the retreat corporate model where people are paying $10,000 plus to take mm-hmm. training courses that have that do not include actual experience with psychedelics. Yeah. And, you know, I do, I do. I am not boasting by any means, but, you know, I want to inform our listeners who maybe this is something that they're interested in. And I'm not knocking you know, CIIS and IPI and all these other training programs. Uh, 
you know, it needs to happen just like the retreats need to happen to increase exposure. It's all part of the evolution of this organism. But what we're doing, and I think is the next stage in the evolution, is much more affordable access to training, community that's going to support you, and experience working with sacred mushrooms, which is your divine right and is central to knowing how to support other people. I know that it is kind of like where we're at in society and there's not the ability to openly practice with psychedelics in clinical and research work. So that's another reason why I'm so excited to be doing what we're doing in mm -hmm. another way that we are really at the cutting edge, babe. Um, it's, it's really incredible when I look back at how our lives came together at that certain point and we're getting ready to step into 10 years of being together within a couple of weeks here and we're going to use that as an opportunity to gather our local members and have a celebration. It's just, it's just beautiful. And I know that that energy is what is behind this work that we're doing. And so I know that it is de destined for success. It's destined for expansion and growth and beauty because that's what we see in our lives every single day. Yeah. Well said. Right. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to be alive with you and our community. And I guess the mushroom is our family. And uh, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely feels that way. And I am just so, so incredibly grateful and feel so fortunate Likewise. to be where we are. Likewise. So. Listener, you are a rock star if you made it this <laughs> far. Thank you so much connor thank you for all that you do grateful to hear your voice coming in some of these intros mm -hmm. it's just another example of the communal building of this thing mm -hmm. and I, I just love yeah it. and like you mentioned donating to sanctuary um and yes please do that even if it's like five dollars that helps a lot um and like just showing up to our sunday service oh your time and attention are more to the community than, mm. yeah like just showing up to that zoom service which is you don't have to be a member you just show up on zoom enter your email get the zoom link to show up like the more we get to know you and the people that want to be a part of this, I mean, that, yeah, that energy is, that is a donation. For itself. sure. So. For sure. You're welcome to do that. Yeah. Thanks for listening as always. And we look forward to seeing you on the other side of the mushroom. Yeah. See you soon.